0: Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. Today I get to chat with Atre Chatterjee. He is the CMO of Fordrock. This is his third CMO gig, and the first one was at Acton, where we got to meet a number of years back. We chat today all about the convergence of product and content the product part for actually really is the roots of his career he was a product guy turned marketer and he talks about the role that product continues to play in how he thinks about going to market now that other go to market section is the value of content and the importance of putting the right content in front of the right people at the right time we dig into how he's executing on this at FordRock In a market where they have so many different buyers, so many different verticals, how do we focus our efforts with so few people and so much opportunity, such a large TAM. So we're gonna dig in today. This is a great episode. I'm excited for you to join us. Here we go. thanks so much for stopping in. I am really excited to chat about how you became CMO for Rock. But before we get there, let's take a step back and talk about how you became a CMO in the first place. Was this the vision you had when you started your career?
1: Thanks, Randy. Um, yeah, that's a great question because I never imagined when I got out of college that I'd be a CMO at one point in time. Uh, I started off as a programmer. I studied computer science. I uh, did a both a bachelor's and a master's degree in computer science and started off my career um, working at a company that built embedded systems. And this is embedded software that went into the avionics of uh, aircraft. Uh, And we had to deal with uh, things like real-time processing and uh, security and things like that um, because uh, these had both civilian as well as military usages. So there was a lot of emphasis on that. Um, and somewhere along the line, I, I I thought you know I wanted to get more involved with customers, and I wanted to interact with customers more rather than being an R&D engineer. And I went uh, in my company and I asked if I could transfer out and and become a systems engineer in the sales side, uh, become a SE basically, which is what you call them right now. Right. They kind of laughed at me and said, "Oh wait a minute, you're a you're an R&D guy. Go and do R&D." And uh, and the R&D people said, "Like what's wrong with you? You want to go be an SE?" This is where all the action is. This is where all the great computer science is being done. So I ended up having to leave, go to business school. I get a master's in in business uh, because I had no idea of anything in business. I didn't know. I had no idea what balance sheets looked like. I didn't know how to do accounting, any of that sort of stuff. Uh, So I ended up having to go and study that and uh, come back. And I came back as a product manager. And that's how I really started my career in marketing as as a product manager.
0: It's it's really interesting, you know, to turn back the clock and and hear that story. Which you know, I don't want to date you in any way, but you know, we're we're going you know thirty plus years in terms of that. And you look today, and you mentioned as an example, sales engineers, SEs. I mean, they are some of the most insightful, bright people on my team. No offense to the rest of my team, but you know, when I have an important call, I want an SE there with me because. They understand not just the product, but they understand that connection between product and value add. And I'm, I'm wondering where you started to figure out that connection between being a product manager and perhaps a product marketer.
1: Yeah. And so, uh, so you know, so coming out, uh, the, the thing that I was best qualified was, was being at that intersection of product and uh, go to market right? And with a strong product background. And that's kind of like the entry point that I had. And I got started with that. And you're right. I mean, as you you look at SEs, uh, they're sort of the biggest, you know, they synthesize things. And that's kind of like what they do. They see all aspects of things and they put things together and they have to concoct things on the fly and they have to come up with ways to solve problems. And that's a very interesting area to be in. Now, I didn't really actually work as an SE. Uh, I ended up going into product management and then product marketing after that, but interacted a lot and worked very closely with SEs because you know when you enable a sales organization, one of the key constituents that you have to enable is SEs. And so that got me really going with uh, the importance of various things that I've learned uh, through my career, which is, and, and the importance of really being able to communicate and tell a story and and talk about value and uh, things like that, because that's Uh, not about just product features and benefits. So if, if if we fast
0: forward a bit through these elements of your career, I'm curious your opportunities to become a CMO. How much was the product at the core of the companies you chose to work for?
1: Yeah, that's uh, uh, I would say that uh, almost every company that I've worked at, and it's it maybe it's because of my uh my lineage and my background, is I really look at product as one of the key decision makers for me. Uh, I'm in tech, we're, we're in tech and all in this area, and product is, is really fundamental to what we do. I also realized a little early in my career that uh, I wanted to work in smaller companies, I, I started off at when I came out of business school, I started off at Sun Microsystems. Uh, in those days, that company was, uh, I was there as an intern. And then when I got there the next year after graduating, uh, it had doubled in size and it had 6,000 people there. And I realized very quickly that I'd come there almost three or four years too late. And that sort of got me started on thinking about what do I do next? And what, what are the upcoming trends that are happening? And and where should I be? So product has always been a, a key aspect of my decision-making because It also helps motivate me. If I can get behind a product, if I really like what that product is doing, what problems it's trying to solve, if I think that it has potential, um, that really makes the rest of my job so much easier. And and that started off as a product manager, um, and then it went on as I I developed my career and did uh, more things, including being on a founding team of a company that built a product for marketers. And that's how I really got into the marketing side of things. Uh, when we uh, started this company called Responses, uh, which was uh, in the email marketing space back in, got it started at the end of 98, 99, uh, when e-commerce was getting started. and And there was sort of like the combination of product with solving the needs of the marketer. And I had no experience in demand generation or any of those things. Had to learn it by trying to trying to like figure out how we can make this problem work for marketers.
0: Amazing that you were part of that that founding team at Responses, and it's it's a company that I think so many people probably listening to this podcast uh, can relate to now. Now being part of Oracle, a couple of times in your career, you've had the opportunity to work for a company that is a Martech company. You know, Responses being one of them. Act On when you and I first met uh, being another example. And I'm curious, back to this question of choosing that company and a product that you believe in and one you can relate to, it's very simple for a marketer to be able to do that with MarTech. How do you determine whether you believe in the product when it's something a little further out of reach from what you typically interact with on a day-to-day basis? Do you do a lot of that
1: research in
0: the interview process?
1: Yeah, no, that's a good question. I think uh, I I actually like to look at trends, and so if I so let me back up a little bit and tell you, uh, sort of if I look at if you look at my background, there's sort of like three things that come out. Uh, one is I have a, a pretty strong product focus, and I've I've been involved in a variety of different technology uh, environments, going back to the early point of the internet when I started off uh, when I was an early product manager at Netscape. Uh, and then going on to things like responses and so on. So product has been part of it. And when you say, when I say product is part of it, I also am really curious on looking at what the trends are. What are new things that are happening? And of course, there has to be some connective tissue between what my capabilities are, what I know about, and looking at where that market is going or where certain markets are going. So can I apply my skill set? Can I apply my my know-how to that new area? Uh, and that's what happened at at Responses. Actually, I came out of Netscape. Um, there were two other folks on the Responses founding team. They'd come from a workflow email background. I came from an internet background, and we put a business plan together. And we had to. We knew there was something here, uh, but what problem was it going to solve? It's interesting, Randy. The first premise we had was we we were shooting around some ideas, and we said maybe we should use this for market research. And so we said, okay, let's do some primary research to figure out whether this email product that we had with a bunch of workflow in it would be something that market researchers could use. And I was working at Netscape at the time and I was consult, or actually I was an advisor to these folks as they were getting the company started. And I said, I'll work with you, I'll help you try to figure out this market. So we went and talked to a f- lots of different companies, people that I knew, and of course within Netscape, and to see whether market research groups would want to use this for surveys and things like that. And somewhere along the line, as part of that primary research, we went and talked to uh, some early internet marketing agencies, and uh, and they started talking about direct response and this concept of direct response. I didn't even know what direct response was. Then I had to go read up on direct response and look at okay, there's this whole field of direct response marketing, which is different from advertising. And today, it's in the world, in the physical world, it was done with coupons and offers and things like that. And if you believe that everything was going to the internet and, and e-commerce was becoming big, Amazon was already the biggest bookstore by that time in 99. So we, then we had this aha moment that says, screw this thing about market research where there may be four or five people in a big company doing surveys. Let's go after this whole other industry, which is this direct response industry. And let's go figure out how we can do this with technology. So then we came up with this tagline that says that we're like the Levi Strauss, of the of the internet, because if you're going to go and shovel and dig for gold, we're going to be providing you the jeans and the and the shovels and, and and the wheelbarrows to help you do that, and that's what responses was. And so we ended up going after e-tailers, people who were doing you know doing offers and things like that. And it's interesting because that company we wrote that business plan at the end of '98, and when they went public and then they got acquired many years later, they were still primarily selling into the B two C space. And if you know that, you know, with Oracle bought them, it became part of the sort of the, the three things that Oracle put together as their marketing stack. Eloqua on the business-to-business side, Responses on the business-to-consumer side, and then Blue BlueKai on the data side. And those three things become that Oracle stack. But the Responses idea never really changed in the 10 years that it was a company because there was so much opportunity there. So where this gets us to is I think that, you know, it's interesting, and uh, there's a little bit of... <laughs> Investigation. there's a little art, there's like talking to a lot of people and then trying to thread that needle of sort of like where this thing is gonna go and then getting direct feedback. When Once you start getting customers, of course, you get lots of great feedback to to figure out where you can take this.
0: Really interesting, it really the the perspective of having that passion for product and following through on customer insights. We're gonna hit more on that after a short break here. I wanna talk a little bit about how that weaves into content here on The Marketer's Journey. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. You've probably heard me talk about how valuable sales engineers are before. These are people who, as you just heard me say, can connect what our product does to the value that our customers take away from. And I encourage you to think about these people in your organization. They may be your next product marketer. They may be your next CMO inside of your organization because they understand that connection. So embrace them, learn from them. They're often customer-facing and they can bring those insights into your marketing team. We're back here on the marketer's journey. And actually, I took a look at Ford website before we jumped on today. And one of the things that excited me and also overwhelmed me as someone who doesn't understand the space you're in is the number of solutions and products that you offer. And I assume that has to do with the large TAM that you have. I'm wondering from a content perspective, how do you focus
1: with so much opportunity? Yeah, Randy, that's a that's that's a great question, and it's also uh, one of the challenges that um, you know we keep dealing with here. And it's one of these things where there's always continuous work done in it. Uh, if you think about ForgeRock, ForgeRock provides an identity and access management solution. We talk about helping people safely and simply access the connected world, now, that's a big thing. How do you unpack that? And and essentially, what we're doing is we sell into enterprises and large enterprises, uh, they're either trying to solve the problem of identity for their workforce so that they can secure their workforces or identity for their customers. So we're selling to companies who want to secure the identity of their customers, give them a better experience, which is also really important. Now, if you think about these problems, they're very broad based. We have a very horizontal solution that then can be applied in different ways. The financial services industry looks at it differently. The healthcare industry has its own set of problems with HIPAA and things like that. You've got e-commerce and so on. And so this is where content becomes key, having a content strategy and the content experience that you talk about, right? It's not just about having a content strategy and having lots of content. What is that experience that you give people? And we're a great example of a company that needs to take that to heart and really like think about the experience that we give these different folks? What are they trying to get out of it? And they've all got a slightly different bias journey, right? They've got different things that they're trying to solve. And uh, and while they're on this journey, they they need to be able to interact with our content, whatever it may be in whatever format it is, to be able to walk them through that process. And so content uh, is really important for, for what we do uh, because of uh, the different applications that that can use ForgeRock, the context in which they can use it, and the story we need to tell and the journey we need to take people through so that we can talk to them in their language. So actually, before I ask the next few questions, can you give us some uh, some context to scale the
0: marketing team at ForgeRock? Uh, and within that, those who are creating content, how big is that team today?
1: My marketing team is divided as I've got a, I've got a team that is really focused on product and solutions. That is one part of my content team. And then I've got a corporate marketing and a web team in my corporate marketing team. And, and, and they have another role to play in content creation. Obviously, as you know, I mean, our, we're a B2B company. Our website is our biggest brand. Uh, you know, when someone wants to know about Forge they come to our website. So that experience and that journey that we provide people is really important. My marketing team is about 45 people, all told. And that includes my demand generation, uh, both digital and physical. Since we do have regional regional marketing, we sell a, a high ticket product into enterprise and large enterprise. The product and solution team is key because they they're about you know understanding what customers do, how do they you know what value they're getting from it, etc. And then the other part of the content team, which is associated with the website, really is is good at the know how of marketing, right? How to optimize it, how to, and that's why they have to collaborate a lot. And figure that out. So that's really helpful,
0: and you know, I, I couldn't help but uh, but kind of laugh as you started off by talking about the product group uh, within the marketing, which made sense coming off of the first part of our conversation. But I, but I come back to the the website when I was navigating it earlier, and you hit on this a bit in in your introduction to this this segment, which is you have all these industries you're selling into. You've got financial services, healthcare, government. I I'm seeing like probably ten different industries that you probably have a very catered way of solving for. I'm curious whether you're approaching the content strategy on a per industry basis in terms of how you're creating content. Are you trying to create content for each individual industry or are you trying to create content that works industry agnostic?
1: Yeah, and we try to actually mix both. Um, so on the one hand we don't have a big enough team to i wish i'd had a lot more expertise in and a lot more bodies to be able to look at the ind- individual vertical markets uh but what i need to do is it's really about thinking about how the solution of, is is being used in those in those different industries and like most situations there's a lot of commonality but there are differences uh now as you can imagine we're in the we're a security solution so there's an aspect of governance as an aspect of regulations and things like that, which vary not only by industry, but also by, by geography and location and so on. But we try to blend those. So it's a combination of things. I try to reuse as much as possible, but I also try to customize things um, so that they're applicable, be where they are, by geography and so on.
0: I, th- I think a lot of marketers probably get overwhelmed when they start to hear their CEO or their you know VP of sales talk about Going to market in more of this vertical approach, industry-specific approach, and thinking about how am I going to segment. And I think he's—it sounds like you have the right mix there. How do you determine the right assets that you need to verticalize or industry-specific create?
1: Yeah, and that is, uh, and you know, that goes back to that content experience and and you know, categorization and thinking about okay looking at the buyer's journey and saying, you know, what am I trying to do? Am I just trying to attract someone, get them interested? Am I trying to engage them in the middle of the funnel? And obviously, um, you know, that drives a little bit of sort of like what types of content I'm going to use in that. And so um, I'll put it this way, Randy. I mean, it's a continuous effort. In fact, my team right now is going through a content refresh uh, of sort of some recategorization, updating, things like that. And you're always tweaking this based on, you know, sort of what's happening in that. But one thing you did bring up is that, you know, you, we don't have the capacity to do a, you know, one-to-one, you know, Peppers and Rogers style, one-to-one marketing for everyone. We have to look at them as equivalence classes into categories and leverage our, our know-how that way. Interesting. So one of the things that
0: I went, you know, we keep talking about your website, and I think it is such a, I've called it before the lobby, you know, as though we were a fancy law firm. You know, this is where we greet people. This is you know, the, the one thing they see when they walk in the doors. And we're talking about all this more segmented content, but one thing I th- I see you lead very heavily with is analyst reports, front and center. Do you think that those kind of cut through the categories, the industries and really resonate, especially perhaps in the verticals that you're selling into or the solution you're selling into, which is all around security?
1: yeah they do and I'll tell you why they do um typically in a in a in a decision making process with a ForgeRock solution, you have multiple parties as you know you know in in these types of things there are many people who are influencers in that but one important influencer or maybe even decision maker oftentimes more likely the decision maker is uh, is someone in the cio's organization and for those uh, folks, they're looking at you know how is this how is this product compare? What what's what problems does it solve? And they look at companies like Gartner and they look at those, you know, sort of the cognoscenti. What are they saying about these products? And that's important because they're a good third-party validation for this. Uh, so in that aspect of things, um, the analysts and all that are very important because one part of our buyer buying group is going to be that IT organization. And of course, the other, type, other part will be some line of business. And so In that sort of situation also, um, I think actually, customer anecdotes and customer stories are more important because they want to know what someone did with it, like them, and what value they got out of it. That's a
0: great, great point. And and I think that's a great uh, way to think about that buyer journey, which is we need the right content, the right source, the right voice at different stages. That analyst may work for the CIO, whereas that practitioner wants to hear from their peers on what it might actually be like to, to implement. Actually, we're going to take another short break here. We'll be back with some rapid-fire questions to wrap up here on the Marketer's Journey. What actually just unpacked for us is the reality that we cannot create enough content for every buyer, every vertical, every industry, every account. More so, what we need to do, we need to surface the right content in our library for the buyers when they engage with us this is no different than when we log into netflix or log into spotify they are simply curating the right assets that are going to be most relevant to us the relevance is the personalization that we need to achieve and when you think about it that way it's much more manageable much more scalable and in many cases it's all we can really be expected to do. Welcome back to The Marketer's Journey. We've got Atri and we chatted about your career journey, the focus on product. We've talked a little bit about the role of content. Now we're just going to hit you with some random questions. So first one is, are you ready? Yes, I am. Let's do it. All right. So when you think about the next CMO out there, the one aspiring to that position, do you think they should focus on a specialty or do you think they should really go through and become a marketing generalist?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think the CMO role is a broad role. And what is expected from marketing is also but is, is quite broad. On the one hand, uh, you know, you're sort of in between a lot of different things, product on one side, sales on the other side, strategy. So having that broad base is useful. But I do think that uh, a few things that a CMO should, uh, an aspiring CMO should focus on. One is uh, know about the product. What, what is your company selling? Right? What solution are you selling and how are you solving that problem? Be good at storytelling, because marketers have to be those people. They have to tell the story. Uh, They have to communicate. And then finally, I think every uh, CMO today needs to know about demand generation and go to market. And actually really focus on the skill of demand generation, the B2B marketing, if you're in a B2B marketing situation, or even a consumer marketing, growth marketing situation, and know about metrics and performance.
0: Well put, well put. You nailed my second question there, which is what marketers should do more of. So let's skip to the content question. I love to ask, which is, we talked about the role of content. What type of content grabs your attention when it's in your inbox?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And you know, I've been known to um, uh, see great content that comes into my inbox and send it to my SDR managers and and so on. I think it comes down to if I sort of like distill it down to is it has to be relevant. If someone has spent the time and the effort uh, to make that content relevant for me, it shows. I'm more likely to open it. I get lots of marketing uh, emails and so on, Uh, but I open only a few of them, and the ones that I do open have something that is appealing to me, and the content is important. So it's not the graphics. It's not anything else. It's really what they're saying, and how does that apply to me? And the advice I'd give anyone, and it's hard to do. It's not easy to do because it takes time and effort in any ABM approach, et cetera, think about you know like who you're going after and uh, and try to customize it and make make sense to that to that potential reader I love that I, I want to go back to an, a couple parts of our conversation earlier today
0: and we finished the last segment talking about the role of analysts but you've also been in the seat where there is no category you're creating the category so before the analysts are ready to cover you how do you create authority? in the market?
1: Oh my God, that's a great question. And uh, I don't know if you've ever had Christopher Lockhead on your on your show, but you know, that's another gentleman who uh, has a lot to say about category creation and, and how to create a category. And it's really hard. And but I'll say one thing is that uh, and you know we were in the space with for example with responses. Even as a company like ForgeRock, we are, you know, building a category within a category of of what we go after. And the ability to be able to do this is, is really building that narrative and having strong proof points of of that narrative. It's a process. And and as you start building up, it's sort of like that snowball effect. As you start building up more and more proof points, you then have a situation where the people like the analysts and all that come along with you. I'll give you an example of a Zscaler, another company I was at before this. There was no such category as cloud security. Five, five, six years ago, so we ended up like starting off with trying to solve a problem with securing web gateways, and we did it all in the cloud. And then over time, as more and more organizations brought in Zscaler to 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 protect their web gateway, which is all the HTTP traffic that's coming in, they found that there were other uses for it, and and they decided to start moving more and more of their operation into the cloud. And and this whole concept of having your security layer in the cloud became more important. Now there's a whole category called cloud security, but it never was there. And uh, we had to sort of like move into that. And it's an effort. It took a long time. Patience. Yes. All right. My last one for you today, Atri,
0: is uh, where are you going to go next? And this is how we close the journey. You know, from a personal side, where is that next vacation and how do you make time for it?
1: Well, we're now in the middle. We still seem to be in the middle of uh, COVID. And so with the Omicron, just to date our podcast here, with the Omicron virus going bigger and bigger, I'll say one thing. Um, uh, In August, my family and I, we we took a vacation. We couldn't travel overseas. So we went to Alaska. Uh, We had a really great time in Alaska. And believe it or not, I've, I've been in North America for 40 years and I'd never been to Alaska. I even went to college in Washington state, which is about as close as you can get to the Canadian border and then off onto Alaska. And I hadn't been to Alaska. So our next vacation is most likely gonna be in North America. And there's so much to see in North America. And you know, we we oftentimes, most people forget this. They wanna to go to different places. And we've done that too. Go to Greece and go to Turkey and go to these places. But in our own backyard, in our own continent, there's so much to see. Um, even our own countries. In our own countries. We want to do more uh, in going to places like Yellowstone, Grand Tetons, places like that that we haven't spent enough time in.
0: That's a it's a great tip, great advice. Don't go far, just look for something to get away. And I think that's what we all all definitely are craving these days, is your point amid whatever wave we may be in. Uh, Atria, thank you so much for sharing everything about how you've got into this exciting opportunity of Ford Rock various different opportunities you've had, the way you think about content, so much taken away. And if you're tuning in for the first time, every CMO I've gotten to speak to has a little bit of a different journey. I'm sure yours is taking its own unique path. And one day, maybe you'll share it on this podcast. Till next time, thank you for tuning in.